Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on this Friday afternoon on AM 770 KTTH streaming on the KTTH smartphone app. Democrat policies emboldening criminals aren't to blame for stolen cars. The car makers are. Why did I not think of that? That is what's trending. What's trending on the road? There is a smoking hot bad take out of the New York Times opinion section. A lazy hot take. A typical Democrat hot take. Now, the guy behind it, his name is Farhad Manju. And the title is Kia and Hyundai helped enable a crime wave. They should pay for it. Now, he doesn't really get into how much they should pay, what that even means. It's a very, like I said, it's, it's very lazy. But he goes into some of the data. And the data, of course, is alarming. We've been talking about it for a very long time. There's been a national rise in auto thefts, about 33.5% higher year over year. And last year was exceptionally high, at least according to the cities that reported the data. And they're relying on some of the larger cities. Not all of the large cities, though. But he mentions Philadelphia, Chicago, D.C., Seattle gets a mention. In fact, police chief Adrian Diaz is quoted in this piece. But Manju writes, why are so many cars getting stolen? Police departments and city officials point to this. Millions of Kias and Hyundais are ridiculously easy to steal. And then he points to a trend that has been over for a very long time, videos that I don't even think are online anywhere anymore, which points to the TikTok trend where folks early on pointed out how easy it was to steal a vehicle. And they did sort of a how-to, a tutorial. He writes, there's a chance, and, and by the way, I should say this before I read it. He writes a line that as I was reading, in my head, I said to myself, oh, okay, never mind. Maybe this is a poorly written headline written by editors that is kind of misleading. That, ooh, he's finally going to make the correct observation as to why there's been a surge in car theft, which, of course, has to do with Democrat policies, soft on crime prosecutors and soft on crime prose- uh, judges. I, I Read the sentence and tell me if you felt the same way <laughs> or you feel the same way, I should say. There's a chance that Kia and Hyundai will escape some of the blame for these thefts because there's a juicier target for politicians to go after. Now, I was thinking at that point, oh, he's finally giving a Republican response. Except, of course, he doesn't mention soft on crime policies. (laughs) There was so much promise there only to be disappointed. Nope, he decided to say social media platforms where the how-to videos have circulated. So basically, he's saying that the much juicier, quote-unquote, target, To blame for all of this would be TikTok or any of the social media channels that posted the videos, which, by the way, are not illegal to post. I can show you how to hotwire a vehicle, any vehicle. I can do that in print. I could do it in a YouTube video. I could talk you through it on the radio. It is not illegal. Is it unethical? Maybe. I guess it depends on the circumstances. Certainly, if I'm telling you 
how to do it so that you can steal cars. Certainly, I think, immoral, but it's not illegal. It's very clearly protected speech. But it's just it's odd because he says this. This strikes me as bizarre blame shifting. It's Kia and Hyundai, not TikTok, that sold theft prone cars. I'm not against tech companies moderating their platforms to curb the spread of potentially dangerous information. But you know what would be better? Making cars that can't be stolen with a USB cable. Now, certainly, I would argue that that's a net benefit for everyone involved. But here's a question. And I'm talking about this later tonight on Hannity, so I think I'll bring this up. How many people listening to me right this moment, regardless of where you live, you can be in Aberdeen or Anacortes. You can be in Bellevue or Bellingham. You can be in Issaquah or another city that starts with the letter I. How many of you guys have stolen vehicles? Now, I'm not talking about early on during the TikTok craze because who amongst us hasn't stolen a car or seven in the early days? But pushing aside that initial bit of stealing, how many people have stolen cars? I I have access, you have access to these videos. We, We can find out very easily. I mean, we've certainly talked about the TikTok craze before when it was happening. And we've obviously been covering the social media connection to this crime crisis. And obviously there's a connection. How many cars have you stolen? Why not? I'm assuming the vast majority of you, if not all people listening, have not stolen any vehicles as a result of having access to all of this knowledge. Why not? Oh, because you have an understanding of the law. You have an appreciation of the law. You choose to follow rules. You choose to be a good person. You choose not to take advantage of a security vulnerability because you're not a degenerate crook. So this whole idea that Kia and Hyundai are to blame, this is the equivalent of saying someone asked for an attack because they were walking on the wrong side of town, on the wrong side of town. They should have known better. You made yourself such an easy target. That's the argument that the left is using. That seems to be an offensive argument because you can obviously take it to an extreme. We certainly heard those lame excuses for not even excuses in fairness, but lame reactions when someone is assault physically, sexually assaulted. Oh, well, did you see what she was wearing? We all reject that as incredibly offensive. Because you're putting the blame on the victim. In this case, you're putting the blame on the car manufacturers as if. They want their cars to be stolen, which, of course, they don't want that to happen. Name other vehicle manufacturers, car makers that took a bigger hit than Hyundai and Kia from a security standpoint. Who buys a Kia now? Unless you that's the only car you can afford. Lots of folks probably would give a pass on Kia because of the brand right now. Same with Hyundai. And obviously, these are not new cars that are being stolen. These are somewhat older cars, or older models, I should say. They're still semi-recent. But the fact of the matter is, we have access to the information. We chose not to be a bad guy because we're not bad people. I mean, I'm a bad person, but I don't choose to break the law. I mean, I break the law, just not this one, recently. So this idea that we're just going to shift the blame is super lazy. 
No mention whatsoever in this op-ed, not a single mention of soft on crime policies, not once. Not even a little bit, not even a hint. Not a single policy mentioned, not a single argument about the emboldening of criminals when we tell them we're not going to chase. I mean, he had a perfect opportunity. He talks about Seattle. He includes the Seattle police chief. Doesn't mention that cops are not allowed to chase anyone who steals a vehicle. Ever. Period. It's the policy. It's the law. Not a single mention. Weird how that works. But yeah, let's go ahead and blame Kia. Blaming Kia and the New York Times so that we can give a pass to the Democrats that they all support there. Unbelievable. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? The drug crisis. Good news out of Lewis County where a man named Darren Noble finds himself facing a controlled substance homicide charge. After the prosecutors say he gave a 31-year-old mother a pill that was laced with fentanyl. She takes it and she dies. Now, according to King 5, this all went down on July 14th. This mother of three, according to the court documents, told her family that night that she was going to pick up pizza. But after she didn't show back up with the pizza, in fact, she didn't show up to work the next day, her grandfather went looking for her. And he ends up finding her and Darren Noble unconscious in a car. Now, she ends up dying at the scene of an overdose. Noble apparently barely survived. But according to the probable cause documents, there were text messages that showed that he apparently provided the drugs that were used. He was a drug supplier. It doesn't say he was a drug dealer. And I'm guessing he wasn't a, a drug dealer, at least not by the traditional sense, because he too was having an overdose and he barely survived. So I'm assuming he just provide the supplies because obviously he partook according to the documents. And as a result of being the person who provided the drugs, he was hit with a very rare charge of controlled substance homicide. Now he's pleaded not guilty. And as I said, this doesn't happen very often. I'm glad that they ended up doing something here. And the victim's aunt, her name is Heather, talking to King Five, said she just wants justice to be served. Do I think he needs to pay? I do. I, I would like to see some justice out of this. I think she's right to call for that. 100%. It sounds like the victim here was an addict. And hiding it, apparently, or it seemed, according to the the story, at least hiding it from her family members. And she paid the ultimate price for that addiction that was only enabled, according to the prosecutors, by this Darren Noble guy. Now, the reason why this is a difficult charge to actually be successful in is that you have to prove that the very specific drug not only was provided to the victim by the person you're charging, the defendant, you have to show that that particular drug was in fact responsible for the overdose. And as King County spokesperson, King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office spokesperson, Casey McNurthney points out, that's not very easy, certainly not as easy as you might think. People may have multiple drugs in their system. That's very difficult in court to prove exactly which drug and in which amount and from which dealer killed you. 
Now, that's that's fair. But there are going to be instances in which there aren't multiple drugs in one's body or maybe two. And just like in Lewis County, you maybe find text messages that you believe corroborate the claim, the belief that so-and-so was the one who provided the drugs that ended up killing a victim. This needs to happen more often, even though, I, again, I, I understand how difficult it is. But I will point to something that happened this week in Riverside County, California. It's the first time in this country where during a trial, a jury trial, someone was found guilty for a controlled substance homicide. A 34-year-old man, in this case, they charge it as second-degree murder. He gave a woman a pill that he knew was laced with fentanyl. Now, his name is Vincente David Romero. And the jury ended up getting shown body cam video where he told police that at the time of the investigation, he gave and split a pill known as M30 with the victim, whose name was Kelsey King. He admitted during the investigation that he knew the pill had contained fentanyl, this according to the prosecutor. They put the evidence up in front of a jury. A jury said, yeah, you're guilty. And now he faces potentially 15 years to life behind bars. Now, we don't know when the sentencing will begin. I believe that there's a hearing in the coming months. But that is rather significant. 15 years to life. And by the way, in this county, in California, Riverside County, there are 22 other fentanyl poisoning cases or fentanyl-related cases that they are charging. This is a perfect, perfect, perfect response to the crisis. Because when you've got a prosecutor who's actually willing to prosecute, this is how you can go about ending or at least mitigating part of the threat of the drug crisis. Because if drug dealers know that they're going to be hit with substantial punishment, not a weekend in jail that ends up getting pled down to some misdemeanor in which you don't spend any time in jail outside of what you already spent. When you tell them, hey, we're going to put you in jail from 15 years to life if you're caught selling a drug that leads to someone's overdose. Well, all of a sudden, maybe you make it a little bit harder for the drug cartels to find willing drug dealers to move their product. It's not going to end drug dealing, not by any stretch of the imagination. But can it prevent some people? Could it be a disincentive for some to stop selling, which means maybe we're saving a little bit more lives and we're getting more time to these people to get them to get the help that they need? Yes, I think the answer is clearly yes. And so this is great. The problem is we're not going to likely see it in King County, not even just because it's difficult, but because there doesn't seem to be an appetite to go after drug dealers in that way. I mean, all these people who have died, and we're going to spend you know the latter part of this hour on the drug crisis, or at least a good chunk of it. Every single person who received fentanyl and then died of an overdose, they received it from someone who gave it to them. Why should they not suffer any impact, even if they're not a drug dealer, but just a friend 
who got high with them? Why should there be no consequences to that person who knowingly gave drugs to someone that they know to be unsafe? We're almost at a thousand overdose deaths this year. That was the number last year. It's only September 1st. So kudos to the prosecutors in Lewis County, but also Riverside County out in California. They're doing the right thing, and I bet you it will have some impact. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? What a dumb tweet. There is something seriously wrong with Pramila Jayapal, the Seattle congresswoman, the grandmother to the squad. There's something seriously wrong. This is a broken, broken, broken woman. This is a shameless partisan who, with no due respect, is morally bankrupt. A congresswoman whose failures as a politician can be so obviously determined purely by looking at her Twitter feed, which is filled with bad faith argument after bad faith argument. Her Twitter profile or her ex profile is just filled with bad faith positions or framings of issues that I think are important. Certainly they're important to a large number of people who live in this country, who live in her district, even though she never really talks about her district. You get these bumper sticker talking points from time to time. Most of them are bumper sticker talking points, but she just argues in bad faith about, for example, the the Jim Crow filibuster. It wasn't a Jim Crow filibuster when Democrats were using it. It's only a Jim Crow filibuster when they don't have the power to just jam through any kind of legislation that they hope to jam through. But there was a tweet last night that was so beyond unacceptable. It, it's irresponsible. This is what she tweeted. Reminder. It shouldn't be easier to buy an assault weapon than tickets to Barbie, Oppenheimer, or the Eras Tour concert film, the Taylor Swift film. So, of course, she's implying that it's easier to buy a quote-unquote assault weapon, which just means to Democrats, scary-looking gun, than it is to buy a ticket to Barbie or Oppenheimer or a Taylor Swift concert movie. Undoubtedly, she yelled at one of her terrified and mistreated staff members. She notoriously mistreats her staff members, according to a report in BuzzFeed. She probably yelled at them to get them to give her some pop culture references because she's not seen Barbie or Oppenheimer. The only connection she has to Taylor Swift is that. One of her 22-year-old interns probably listens and told her one time about her. But she did this, no doubt, to appeal to a younger demographic of voter, a Gen Zer. This makes her sound like she's relevant instead of the grandmother to the squad. AOC is relevant to younger people. She's got a lower IQ than most, but still. This is one of the most ridiculous tweets I think she has ever sent. So let's just go over a few things that I guess she's pretending we don't know about. Washington State, where she is from, Seattle is in Washington, she represents. We've banned so-called assault weapons. 
We banned them. So I, I can tell you as a matter of fact, it is quite more difficult to buy an assault weapon than to get tickets to Barbie Oppenheimer or the Taylor Swift movie. I can say that with great confidence. As someone who has purchased a firearm, I can tell you it is more onerous than it was to go buy a ticket to see Barbie and Oppenheimer, both of which I did. In fact, I'm looking right now at Fandango, and I'm looking at AMC Pacific Place, their movie theater. There are a ton of seats to both Barbie and Oppenheimer tonight. I can show Pramila how to use the app if she'd like. What is the point of a tweet like this or a post like this? She wants to prey on people's fears around gun violence, low-information voters who haven't figured out that Pramila is a pathological liar. And so they're seeing the rise in crime in Seattle, all thanks to policies that Pramila Jayapal backs, like getting rid of cash bail. She fights to keep criminals out of jail so that they can reoffend, which is precisely why so many people choose to purchase a firearm to protect themselves from the criminals that Pramila Jayapal fights for. Only to then have Pramila Jayapal go after our gun rights because we're the ones who follow the law, not the criminals. We're the ones whose guns get confiscated. Pramila Jayapal is anti-gun. She wants them confiscated. She wants them banned, period. Now, she doesn't have to worry about crime, of course, because she has had in the past taxpayer dollars being spent on security for her. She also used campaign dollars to purchase top-end security for her home. So she doesn't have to worry. She's like the other members of the squad who act out so disingenuously, so dishonestly. She's lying here to help make it easier for her to ban guns. It is such a bad faith argument. It is nauseating. And I have to imagine she knows... We're smarter than her when it comes to this issue. But she does it anyway because she knows she can get away with it. I haven't seen anyone other than me in the media calling her out. I've got a blog up right now, in fact, at KTTH.com. This is absolutely absurd. She is shameless. But I bet you she feels no shame. In fact, I know she doesn't. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages when we come back. State Senator Phil Fortunato on how he plans on tackling homelessness, but does he have any support from Democrats? He'll explain right here on The Jason Rant Show. The Jason Rant Show. Here to react, Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Rant. And the rise of soft on crime laws and policies have made it worse. Our man in the Pacific Northwest, Jason Rant, is on that. You keep on bringing her these extraordinary stories from Seattle. It's amazing. Long form. It feels like there's little doubt that the Democrats in charge trying to get homelessness under control is actually doing the opposite. It's making it worse. Meanwhile, we're still spending a lot of money on affordable housing, on housing first as a strategy. It's just a total nightmare, which is why my next guest is hoping to do something. State Senator Phil Fortunato, the Republican from Auburn, has a plan. It's called From Homelessness to Housing. And includes a number of bills that helps bring people inside, but 
not so that they can continue to use drugs or not get mental health care treatment. He joins me on the line. Welcome back to the show. All right. Thank you, Jason. So big picture first, take me through what you think is wrong with the current approach and how your approach would be better. Well, one of the problems that you have is, uh, you know, there's no accountability in the process. Uh, when you say, you know what, in order to get government services, in order to spend taxpayer dollars to to do something to help homelessness, we are first going to require that you get drug and alcohol evaluated. And if you need treatment, we want you to enroll in treatment. If you have a mental health issue, we want to diagnose that. We want to make sure that we, are, we address that. Because 99% of the problem is drugs, alcohol, uh, mental health. Uh, you know, these people that are, uh, you, you know, what made me laugh is, uh, remember that show about, you know, uh, Seattle? And uh, the guy goes, this guy's been arrested 70 times. What? He's yeah. been arrested 70 times? Why the hell isn't the guy in jail? Yeah, Francisco go, Calderon is who so, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, so here you have this series of problems. So I, uh, I, I've been working on this for like, it's not like this is a new issue. I mean, we've been working on this for mm-hmm. five years. It's just that the same five years the Democrats have been in charge. And that's why we haven't been able to move anything forward. You know, when somebody says to you, there's no evidence that denying them drugs and alcohol helps them. Uh, what is the response to that? You know, I looked I looked at him and I said, well, there's plenty of evidence that allowing them to continue on drugs and alcohol hurts them. And uh, so these are the issues that you have to address. You have to address each. There's like five, six different groups of homeless people, Mm -hmm. and each one of them has a slightly different approach. You know, I go, hey, we got criminal homeless. They're criminals. Put them in jail. You're not doing them any favors, leaving them on the street, harassing people, breaking into cars, breaking into homes, you know, uh, stealing Creating stuff new on victims the street, shoplifting. You know, and well, yeah, what about those victims? Uh, I mean, I'm in the store the other day and they go, oh, you know, uh, uh, this guy comes in, walks in, uh, just walks out the door with the biggest thing the guy could physically carry, right? No response. No, nobody tries to stop him. Nobody calls the cops. Nobody does anything. Cops don't come, you know? And uh, I go, this is, all of this is result of democratic policies and this weakness on drugs, this weakness on crime. Uh, You know, uh, you know, I mean, so you it's because it's, it's ideologically driven, right? I mean, at the end of the day, when yeah. we see the Democrat plan, I think some of them are well-intentioned. I think others are you know, trying to connect to the homeless industrial complex. But at the end of the day, I don't care what the agenda is because we know that it doesn't work. All of the data shows that it does not work. And yet they don't course correct. They just continue to throw money into the problem, which is why you've got these – bills that you're going to introduce in the upcoming session that tries to course correct. So take us through what some of these bills will do. Okay. So, you know, so first thing you have is you have these criminals that are in the street and the prosecutors are not prosecuting them. All right. So we're going to take away the prosecutor's discretion. Prosecutor gets one time to determine if he's going to prosecute something. After that, they must prosecute. Okay. If you and I walked into a store and walked out with something, we'd get arrested. You know, we get thrown in jail. Why is that homeless crime? And they talk about it like it's not real crime, you know? So 
if it's the prosecutor's problem, you got to take away their discretion. They must prosecute. You know, after that, we got these people on the street. We want these people off the street. It is not compassionate to allow these people to sleep in a cardboard box on the sidewalk. Never mind the, the, the public safety, the hazard, the this and that, and all the effects on business. So let's get them off the street. And I had a bill called the Shelter Act. And for, it basically said, okay, Martin versus Boise said, you can't get them off the street unless there's a place for them to go. Fine, I'll give you a place to go. I'm going to fence the area in. I'm going to give you a tent. I'm going to give you a sleeping bag. I made the mistake of saying police presence instead of security. Uh, drug and alcohol treatment, no drugs, no alcohol. After that, if you do camp on public property, it's then a misdemeanor. So we provided you a place for taxpayer spends, and now you're still going back on somebody's sidewalk or in the park. It's a misdemeanor. You're going to go to jail. I was a bad guy. 437 people testified opposed to that. Shortly after that, Mercer Island passed an ordinance, Kirkland, Renton, or uh, Kent, Auburn, and the uh, city of Tacoma at uh, last fall was on the news about their innovative approach. They're going to give them a tent. They're going to give them a sleep bag. They're going to fence the area in, provide security. And if you then camp on public property, $250 fine, 30 days in jail. They're implementing the policy, but they're not addressing it in the legislature because they know, various people know that this policy works. You know, you're giving people these hotels. And you're just saying, okay, we're going to give you a hotel room. Well, how are you? Taxpayers are giving them three meals a day, doing their laundry, giving them cable TV. Why in the world would you not want to move to Washington if you're homeless? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and this just goes on and on and on. And they go, oh, the meals are provided by nonprofits. I go, really? Where do the nonprofits get their money? Oh, they get them from grants. Really? Where's the grants come from? Oh, the state. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's such a scam. So taxpayers are funding all this stuff. I mean, it just goes on forever. It, it really does. We're talking with State Senator Phil Fortunato, Republican from Auburn. We we know that the Housing First model does not work in the vast majority of cases. Housing First is exactly what it sounds like. We're just going to put you in a home, and then we'll hopefully, maybe, kind of, sort of address the reasons why you're homeless to begin with. Of course, it'll still be on their timeline so if they're never ready to quit drugs we'll just continue to keep them indoors because it's quote-unquote safer to use indoors i guess so what is do you get the sense that there are enough democrats who are looking at these issues in good faith recognizing that the approach they've taken in the past has not worked and maybe they're ready to move on to something different no well, that's scary. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Now, I mean, and then the case in point on that, we, you know, we know that drugs, alcohol, you know, addiction, drug addiction, all crisis, and all that stuff. We know that that is kind of at the heart of this stuff. Yeah. You know, and so unless we address drugs and alcohol addiction, or and and address the mental health issue, we're not gonna we're not gonna actually move in a forward motion. But remember. If we do this, that requires accountability person. If we say as a society, we are willing to help you, we we will you sleeping in a cardboard box, want to address this issue, we're gonna provide you treatment, we're gonna do this mental health evaluation, we're gonna we're gonna give you some stable living area, whether that's a tent and a sleeping bag or whatever, you know, 
and mm-hmm. and we're willing to help you. But now that person said, hey, I don't want to do that. I want my drugs. I want my alcohol. And the other said, oh, okay. <laughs> right? Now, if you don't tolerate that stuff and you say we're doing this at taxpayer expense, and if you don't want to do what we, t- we tell you to do because we're doing this, taxpayers are spending the money to help you, and you don't want that help, yeah. you have to leave. You have to go somewhere else. Go to California. Go to Portland. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I wish no? they would say yes to the help. I think you do, too. I think all of us want them to say yes, particularly when it comes to the opi- opioid crisis, which they're not going to get better on their own. They will ultimately die. You look at just the statewide numbers. We have over well, almost 2,700 overdose deaths so far this year, and my guess is it's already higher than that. By the end of this interview, there will be more people who have died. When you look at King County in particular, you've got 908 so far. The vast majority coming from opioids, fentanyl, uh, meth is coming in at number three. Meth used to be number one. It's now number two or three. It it is very clear that policy is to blame for this. Policy is to blame for these folks who became addicts in the first place because Democrats decided, thanks to the Blake decision that overturned the, the felony possession law, that they were just going to decriminalize, which is effectively legalizing. They can parse their words all they want, but they legalize drugs and the issue exploded. Same thing happened in Oregon. And then they refused to do the hard work that's absolutely necessary to bring these people back in. I'll give you the last word. Right. Well, and, you know, that's, uh, I, and to touch on the homelessness, the housing, if you get government added away, which is all the way on the other end of the spectrum, right? So now you're addressing that homeless issue. The other question is, how are we going to provide people an entry-level home? And that was my, my American Dream Home Bill. If you get government out of the way and you start doing some of these other subsidies that they're currently doing for apartments and all this other stuff, you can drop a mortgage payment six to $800 a month. How many more people would be able to afford a home if, that, if their mortgage payment was six to $800 more a month or less a month? Mm-hmm. And that's the cost. That's what government is costing you. And what are you getting for that? You're not getting anything for that. You're just getting more bureaucracy, more cost onto your home. You're paying $30 a month for stupid, uh, uh, a little minor stormwater regulation costs you 30 month for 30 years. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, it's At some point, you know, you have to laugh because you'll just cry if you don't. Uh, we've been talking with State Senator Phil Fortunato. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Jason. Good job. Bye-bye. Good to talk to you. You're listening to The Jason Rand Show ahead of this Labor Day weekend. We're back with the quick kits when we return. The Jason Rand Show. Let's bring in our man in the Pacific Northwest, KTTH, Seattle top radio host Jason Rance. Great to have you with us to tell people a little bit more about this. Jason Rance is in focus now. Jason Rance, thank you for your reporting on that. The quick hit. You know, I, I wanted to continue our conversation that uh, we were just having with, with Phil Fortunato, at least on the fentanyl and just general overdose crisis. But I say fentanyl, I frame it around fentanyl because it is very clearly the leading cause of fatal overdoses. And it, it's somewhat ironic, I suppose, that just a few days after a truly embarrassing article in the Seattle Times 
wondering why we're having so many drugs being sold and consumed on our streets, completely neglecting the two main reasons. Number one, legalization of drugs. And then our number two, our open border, our porous border. Completely ignores that. How do I don't understand how did it happen? Oh, no. So now they have a story that we've been talking about for months, that I've been tweeting about for months, that I've been calling out for months. And all of a sudden, they're taking an interest in this and acting almost as if they're shocked to see the numbers. The title of the story, King County to Surpass Record Fentanyl Death Toll with Four Months Left in 2023. Oh, you don't say. Oh, really? Huh. Where did you hear that? I know some of you guys follow me. Did you just take my my tweets and turn it into a poorly argued news report? And of course, it starts with a story, a personal story of someone who has been an addict and dealing with this addiction for years. It's supposed to bring you in and make an emotional connection before then, of course, yet again, completely neglecting the reason why the crisis has been so bad here to begin with. Nothing about drug decriminalization slash legalization. Nothing. Nothing about policy. Nothing about the law. Nothing, not a single word mentioned. But let's go over the data. Because they point out, and this is, by the way, false, or at least it's half false. They see they say fentanyl is sold for a little as little as it says a little as so they, they screw that up. For as little as two dollars or three dollars a pill. It can be much cheaper than that. It can be a dollar. Be a dollar fifty, just as an FYI. And I know it may not matter to the folks over at the Times because, yeah, whatever drugs should be legalized to them. But it matters because it's a driving reason why we have the homelessness crisis that we have. And every single time you give some spare change to a homeless person here, you are running the risk that they end up spending it on these pills. And it is incredibly easy to get high and stay high. So long as you don't overdose and die, it's really easy to stay high in this county. And really in this state, I imagine that if you go over into Spokane, it's going to be about the same, anywhere from a dollar to $3 a pill. I'm presuming that down in Vancouver, you're probably getting something similar. I imagine more north, it's going to be a little bit more expensive because the supply, while it's high, isn't quite what it is in King County because of Seattle and in Vancouver, frankly, because of Portland. But it is incredibly easy to get high and continue to stay out on the streets saying no to offers of help because you're high out of your mind and you don't realize what it is that is happening. But they point out that the fentanyl deaths represent some 83% of the county's confirmed drug overdose deaths. Now, again, they give you the wrong number. And with in, in fairness to them, this number changes all the time. It changes all the time. And just to give you a sense of how it changes... I mean, they're saying 849 confirmed drug overdoses. It's actually the confirmed when they did this was 848. But the reason why that doesn't really matter is because they have probable overdose numbers that they just haven't officially counted yet. And so I think it's important to just count all of these things because they're probably still lower than the reality. By the time I end this segment, 
you will have seen more overdose deaths. Right now, we're at 908. I just said that in, in the last segment with Phil. 908. It's October 1st. Or excuse me, September 1st. It's September 1st, and we're at 908, where last year, the record high ever was 1,000, which beat the previous year's record high ever, 708, which beat the previous year's record high ever of 421. Sensing a trend? Now, between 2013 and about 2017, they were kind of going up, but for the most part, it was pretty flat. It was flat, leaning slightly up. But in 2018 into 2019, you started to see an uptick, and then boom, you started to see the surge. Now, as I said, at the time, you went from heroin to meth and now fentanyl. What happened in 2018 that could explain the numbers starting to rise in significant fashion 2019 on? You guys remember what happened at the end of 2018? I've said it before. This is a quiz, ladies and gentlemen. Drug decriminalization in King County. Dan Satterberg, who pretended to be a Republican and then finally switched to being a Democrat. He made the announcement that he was not going to charge for personal possession of drugs. And what that meant was, well, it meant a lot of things. Number one, it meant that addicts didn't feel pressure to quit. They knew they weren't going to get arrested and charged. It meant drug dealers were paying attention and said, oh, hey, we just decriminalized drugs here. Oh, okay. Hey, friends in the cartels in Mexico, why don't you send more product here? Which is exactly what happened. And then you have the drug dealers who said, and you can talk to any cop who works in this field and works specifically in drug enforcement. They will all tell you exactly the same. In 2018 into 2019 and 2020, the drug dealers carried less product on them. They stored it nearby. They would re-up their product more frequently, but they knew that if they were going to be stopped and frisked, they would only have personal possession amounts. Not enough to get them a felony charge of drug distribution or drug um, dealing. And at the time, we had officers. The mass exodus was starting in 2018, 2019. That's when it kind of started. I reported it exclusively, and then I was told by the stranger, and King 5 at the time, oh, Jason's making it up. They never apologized, by the way. They don't even acknowledge I was right. Now, all of a sudden, it's just, yeah, okay, we accept it as fact. You had enough cops, but they weren't able to do the jobs because the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office made it easy. Made it really, really, really easy to stay an addict and to deal drugs. And then, bam, all of a sudden, you get COVID in 2020. And you get at the exact same time the defund police movement. So you don't have a department that is fully staffed in Seattle, which is where the majority of these drugs are happening. They're obviously spreading in significant ways. We heard lots of stories out of Federal Way, Kent. And, of course, outside of King County, you heard Snohomish County, Pierce County getting ravaged by this as well. We weren't doing anything. We weren't charging anyone. And we allowed the homeless to do whatever it is they wanted to do. They took over cities in 2020 and 2021 and into 2022. Democrats want us to forget that, but that is the truth. That is exactly what happened. 
It was embarrassing. And much of the homelessness that we were experiencing here, the kinds that were taking over the city, leading to a heck of a lot of crime, it was driven not by rent being too high. It was driven by drug use, addiction. And you would hear justifications every so often. I'm doing this story for Fox News on Portland and their Measure 110, which effectively legalized drugs. And I'm tying it into my forthcoming book, What's Killing America. And it's kind of astonishing the amount of justification. I remember some of it happening here as well, where activists were saying, well, you know, they're getting high so they can stay up late at night because if they don't take meth, they'll fall asleep. And that makes them vulnerable. Right. Is that why they take fentanyl? To keep them awake so they don't stay vulnerable because it makes them more vulnerable. It was always just nonsense, but a whole bunch of nonsense over and over and over again regurgitated. Only in 2023, when the crisis has never been worse, all of a sudden, it's at least getting the attention, the numbers getting attention of the Seattle Times, our newspaper of record, but they refuse. They refuse to acknowledge why the numbers are so bad. And the fact of the matter is, Seattle Times is a big part of it. Either because they ignored the issue intentionally, because they agree with legalizing drugs, or they're so ideologically enshrined in their position that they have blinders on and they don't realize what's going on. I think that that's the truth for a small few of them. I think the majority of them just refuse to acknowledge it because it hurts their political position. It's disgusting. Happy Labor Day otherwise. One eight hundred four six five eight seven seventy. I'll be on Hannity later this evening talking about this very issue. Although not in Seattle, it'll be about San Francisco. I hope you'll check it out. You're listening to the Jason Rancho.